Good afternoon, my good people. My name is Tony Siona, alongside my fearless co-host, the incomparable Maggie B. And I welcome you to our fourth episode of We Are The Scenario. Now, as we all know too well, with this shelter in place has forced us all to get creative and keeping a grip on our mental and physical health. With no clear answer in sight from our government and a slew of different perspectives on this matter, getting a clear and true answer to solving this pandemic seems a long way off. Now, in searching for answers, we as a team have been searching out have been reaching out to different professionals to get their perspectives on this current issue. At We Are The Scenario, we welcome all questions from our students and peers. If you don't ask questions, you won't get answers. So at any time during our show, if you have a question, please feel free to chime in. Now, before we get started, I would like to thank Mrs. Nicole Vital for having her group, Ujima, join us today. These are some of our wonderful youth from the San Jose area, and we are very thankful to have them listen in. Now, for those who are joining us for the first time, we welcome you with open arms and uh, glad to have you join us. Now, today we are blessed to have not one, but two doctors in the medical field. The first of our esteemed powerhouse guests is Dr. Lauren Middlebrooks, an assistant professor of pediatric emergency medicine and a double board certified physician currently practicing in that. Also joining her is another powerhouse in our own right, Dr. Angie Curtis, by way of the University of Texas Health Science Center, where she is currently the staff physician in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery in the Division of Pediatric Sports Medicine. Ladies, it is an honor and a privilege to have you on our show today. I want to thank you for coming. Now, Miss Maggie, would you like to ask the first question to our yes. wonderful doctors? Absolutely. Um, so I also want to say thank you to Dr. Curtis and Dr. Middlebrooks for being on the show. Um, and to get started, um, I just want to welcome both of you and ask both of you to talk a little bit about your personal connection to the community and what inspired you to join us on the show today. Okay, well, thanks for having us. We're happy to help out wherever we can. And um, as far as connections, Dwayne and I went to undergrad together at Xavier University of Louisiana. So I met him in 2000, one of the first people that I met when I got there. And just kind of stayed in touch over time. And, and I know that he's done a lot of things for his community out there in California. And we've just kind of kept in touch about different projects. And he reached out asking for my perspective on everything that's going on. So I was happy to help out. Awesome, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, this is Dr. Middlebrooks. Yeah, Dr. Curtis and I went to medical school together. So thanks for connecting us. Uh, I think uh, both of us have a passion for youth because we're both pediatricians. So uh, we have decided to dedicate our career to seeing patients who are under the age of 21. Um, I believe that is the most impressionable age group. It is, uh, you know, the, that period of time where uh, you can make or break your life by making some of the right decisions or making some of the wrong decisions. So, you know, if, if we can be influencers as young black women to show any young man or young woman that as long as you make the right decisions and you can become successful, um, then I am happy to do that. Because if I didn't have someone like that, I would have never known that I could be where I am today. So we're really happy to be here, really happy to, to share with our favorite group of people who are young adults and, and teens. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Now, considering what we're going through right now, we're hearing a lot of bad and unsettling news about this COVID-19 crisis. Are you able to point to or share any positive statistics or outcomes that have come out of this situation? Uh, we can start with you, Ms. Middlebrooks. Okay. Um, so I will say this, and I say it lightly, overall, the cases are downtrending. 
So this is, you know, these are, you know, new cases. This is before we've really loosened shelter in place uh, rules in over 30 states. So for now, our rates are downtrending. Hopefully they'll continue to do that. Um, overall, the rates of deaths will be downtrending in the new, near future, provided that the continued rates of positives start to downtrend as well. Uh, we have more tests available. So I think that's a positive. At my hospital, we started running them in-house. So we're actually getting tests back sooner and we have more available to test people. Um, I think hospitals have learned from this experience as well and we're more prepared. So in New York, they're suggesting that hospitals have at least three to six months of PPE in preparation for future emergencies. And I think the other thing that is, is positive in all this is that our patient demographic children are not getting as sick. Uh, we still don't know exactly why, and we know that you can take measures to try to stay healthy, um, but overall we haven't seen as high number in our pediatric population. Yes, and then of course the media, you know, they highlight the, the deaths and the worst case scenarios and things like that, but there are a lot of people of all ages, demographics that are recovering. And so there are some happy endings to an otherwise scary situation that sometimes don't get as much attention. So I would say that that's a positive also. It's, it's you know, the outcomes can be severe for a lot of people, but it's not, you know, always the end game um, to think of it that way. So so there are people that are recovering of all ages. There's been, you know, senior citizens recovering that were able to go home as well. And so, so that's a highlight as well, as far as some positive outcomes. Thank you all so much for sharing that. So um, kind of going off what you were just talking about, Dr. Curtis, um, in, in both of your opinions, what are some kind of false narratives or even scare tactics, if you want to go that far, that are circulating in the media that we should be aware of? You want to go or you want me to go? <laughs> sure, I can start. So I think uh, we have to kind of put in perspective who we're getting a lot of this inf our information from in the media. And a lot of this information is coming from politicians and they're not coming necessarily from medical experts. Medical experts are weighing in, but the politicians can decide what they want to do with that information provided. Um, so one thing that I think a lot of us have agreed upon, especially in our, our communities and especially in the city in which I live, which is Atlanta, is that we aren't really at a point where we should be lifting our shelter in place orders. We're not really at a point where we should be resuming our regularly scheduled program because we're still in the middle of the pandemic. And I think, so one false thing I know is uh, many states are governed by different people. And obviously you have protesters saying, hey, I wanna get back to work. Um, and you know, from a business standpoint um, and an economical standpoint, sure, that's a wise decision, but it's nothing is ever worth the, worth the cost of your life. So with that said, I think one false narrative is this is over because we're getting better that it's that it's done. Right. Um, let's see, what can I add to that? Um, another thing, of course, everyone's risk profile is going to be different as well. So what may not affect, you know, one person may not necessarily be the case for another. And so, it, you know, you really have to consider your, your own health and your own environment and things like that when it comes to making these decisions. And I agree with Dr. Middlebrook, some people are pushing their own agenda and have their own motives for trying to resume things as quickly as possible or get people's minds off of this situation. 
but we'll all be affected by it differently. So, so it's not a one size fits all decision that has to be made. Okay. Okay. Now I have a, I have a question directed at you, Mr. Uh, Dr. Curtis. Considering the fact that we have to wear these masks and we have to wear these gloves, we have to wash our hands. I mean, I'm not educated in it, but I know that our immune systems, we need that back and forth. We need that contact with people. Like, it seems like we're going backwards with it, like covering our faces almost like we just continue to breathe in, you know, what, what we have. And we're not, you know, doing what normal, you know, how we would be normally on a daily basis. You know, contact with people. Like, we're not building our immune system up. It's almost like we're making our immune system drop. So when this does open back up, I feel it's going to be a spike in more cases of COVID. What do you think about that? So one thing to consider is, as Dr. Middlebrooks Brooks referenced, we have more tests now. We, we have better testing capacity. So... so um, and so there will be more cases, there won't be more positive cases because there's a better ability to test and there will be more positive tests. So don't be alarmed when <laughs> that happens. Um, okay. Good but, job, Pop. Good job. <laughs> as far as, you know, the protective coverings contributing to a resurgence, that's not necessarily the case. The thing about this particular virus is, the virus is that it's, it's called a novel virus because it's, it, this is the first time it's known in humans. So, you know, Dr. Middlebrooks and I have studied viruses and bacteria and all of those things in medical school. We've learned about other types of coronaviruses that have been out there and that have, are known to cause respiratory illnesses. But this particular one, we're, we're learning as we go here. And so, we don't we don't know as well the course and what's going to happen in this situation and that's why you know some may feel that the 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 recommendations right now are overreaching or they're overkill but it's really best case scenario because we we need to learn as we go and the more we can protect people and keep exposure down then you know the lower that the risk is and so some people are asymptomatic and can be out here shedding virus, transmitting it to others in the air that you, you know, walk past them and breathe in, or you're sitting in the same room with them and you can breathe in. So masks and things like that are protective in that instance. Now, as far as gloves, one of the things at, as we as med medical professionals understand is that, you know, you don't wear the same gloves all day and touch everything. They're, they're single use, they're disposable. So I will say that, you know, there could be more education and awareness about proper use of gloves because you know, wearing your gloves to the grocery store and, and touching everything is no different than not having gloves on at all and touching everything. You're, the cross-contamination is still there. So um, in regards to you saying that there may be an increase or a resurgence, I mean, there probably will be, but there are other things that play into that as well. Uh, Dr. Middlebrooks, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I want to also keep in mind that um, because this is so new that there's still ongoing research on the, how antibodies factor into all of this. And also um, they are in you know, one of the phases of doing the vaccination trial for COVID. So you know, a lot of what we're doing now is simply things that we can control. And it's kind of buying us time until we can figure out more about how to save lives and also on how to prevent uh, a reoccurrence of this. 
Thank you all so much for that. Um, can you, um, just taking it back a little bit, can um, one or both of you explain a little bit more about um, a patient risk profile and kind of what, what different risk factors are for different patients in different populations? And then um, can one of you explain what asymptomatic means uh, kind of in layman's terms? Well, well, what we know about what we're seeing out here is, is people that have other comorbidities, which means other health problems, basically, that can play into their immune system response or even their healing response are having worse outcomes with this particular virus. So for example, someone with asthma who may already have a compromised respiratory system, I mean, their lungs may not be as, um, effective basically or you know they have things that are already interfering with their breathing and things like that so when a respiratory virus such as this comes and kind of knocks them down another level they're going to have a harder time recovering from it than somebody who who may not have those symptoms and then you know someone that already has you know heart disease or diabetes which can um, affect multiple organ systems and just how they're running um, again, is going to have a harder time fighting something like this off where you really need all of your resources and your reserves going to war for you. Um, Dr. Middlebrooks, I know you gave a, another talk and you kind of had some good analogies to the body and how it fights things off. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it's important to mention asthma, like you said, because a lot of our um, our, our youth are affected with asthma, especially in, in like the African-American population um, and sickle cell disease is also something that comes to mind because I treat a, a large population of both of those things here in Atlanta um, in one of the community hospitals that I work in. Um, but yes, as Dr. Curtis said, um, I kind of like to think as the body as you, or your, your physical as uh, your armor. And so you have to, if you're going to go to war and, you know, having COVID is really a, a battle, you know, is you're fighting in a war um, and all you can control is the way your immune system responds to this. You can help your immune system out by making sure that it gets the adequate nutrients that it needs now. So just knowing about certain foods that are anti-inflammatories because this uh, particular virus causes an inflammatory response. So things that can fight that are like turmeric and garlic, um, things like you know your vitamin C, your zinc, um, just having those on board. I don't mean like once you get sick, cramming those into your body. I mean, starting now to prepare for war so that you can fight it much more easily later if it comes to that, um, you know, things. So I, I, I did have COVID-19 um, and, I, and I was at home for two weeks and fortunately um, recovered just fine. But, you know, it wasn't short of fighting, fighting back. So in addition to just like the medicinal use of food groups, um, you get some Tylenol. If you start to have a fever, treat your fever. If you feel like you need to cough, then cough. It's all about utilizing the things that you can control to fight and to be prepared. If you're healthy, start exercising. Start getting that blood flowing through your body because when it's too late, then you'll have some issues. And then wow. to answer your Excellent. other question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead Doctor. No, I was just going to say, um, so asymptomatic just means without symptoms, meaning you're not showing signs of illness. You, you may, you know, walk around looking like any of, I, of us do, 
your, your immune system may be effective at handling things before it tips that scale to where you start to feel bad, but that doesn't mean that you're not, um, it's not possible for you to spread your symptoms to somebody else if you were carrying this virus and it may not have necessarily been making you feel bad or look bad. I have a question for both of you. Um, considering the fact that us at Low and Toupay, we work in tobacco use prevention, drug prevention, mental health. Uh, right now during this time, it can be tempting to turn to unhealthy or even self-destructive coping mechanisms like smoking, vaping, alcohol, and you know a plethora of other drugs. Can you share some positive personal stress reducers or coping mechanisms that are helpful during this time? Sure, this is really a, a very tough time for everyone. Um, people are in the house together much more. We've seen increased rates of domestic violence, increased rates of child abuse during this time. So it's really, really important that you know you're not alone and that you take care of your psyche. So some of the things that are useful that people can try to do is to use uh, media as a way to communicate with their friends and family. So FaceTime, set up some Zoom, some Zoom meetings. I've had, I've attended some like birthday parades. Um, make sure that you're also doing things that are constructive for your body, such as taking a walk. Um, you can go for a little jog uh, and maybe pick up a new hobby. Maybe go outside and do some painting or drawing to release some stress. Um, things such as tobacco and um, vape pens and marijuana are going to hinder your body's ability to fight off COVID. So it would be in, in your best interest to stray away from those things and instead find more useful ways to take to, to manage your time. Yes. And I know How about I, you, Dr. Curtis? I was gonna say, um, you know, as a culture, we're we're used to just kind of always trying to push through and, and move forward and you know not always get down and things like that. But sometimes, you know, we use this term, it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes it's okay to own how all of this makes you feel. If it's scary or you're sad or, you know, it's okay to acknowledge those, those feelings because, you know, suppressing things and, and always making it seem like nothing's wrong is not helpful either. And that's sometimes when you do resort to these other things to just temporarily take your mind off of things that may not be so helpful. But, um, you know, it's okay to, you know, acknowledge those feelings sometimes, but then, like Dr. Milbrook said, you know, this can be a time for, for people to kind of get to some things that maybe they've been putting off or, you know, be creative in, in finding new ways to relieve stress, um, whether it's, you know, watching movies or reading or journaling or um, definitely, I know we've utilized the, the Zoom chats so, um, you know, there, there are ways to kind of channel that all of these emotions that everyone is feeling, because this is definitely a threat to life as we know it and what we're comfortable with. Um, but but you, we just have to kind of find some better or some other ways to, to deal with that. Thank you guys so much for that. Um, Going back to um, a point you guys touched on um, during that answer, can you speak a little more um, kind of directly to the young people about the importance of maintaining healthy lungs during this time and, and how smoking, um, whether it be like vaping tobacco or marijuana or what have you, how that impacts their bodies and can make them more vulnerable? Sure. 
So vaping has become increasingly popular, we know, amongst teenagers over the last couple of years. It, the CDC reported that cases went from 0% in 2011 to 29% of specifically high school seniors saying they've tried vaping um, just in 2019. So as you can see, we're up to like a third of high school seniors trying this. Um, what we've also learned since the increase in vaping is something that's called EVALI, which is e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury. So there have been over 2,000 people hospitalized because of EVALI, and 15% of those were teenagers. And 68 people have actually died from vape-related lung illnesses. Vaping can cause inflammation in your lungs, and so can COVID, right? So if you have two factors working together to kill you, you are really going to be at a disadvantage at that point. So um, in addition to that, you know, we know that people who um, maybe smoke marijuana, who vape, often share their vape pens or share their, you know, paper, whatever, the blunt, whatever they use, like, you know, it's often something that's shared and passed around. Well, this is also a way that you can introduce yourself to, to coronavirus. So, you know, at this point, we're just kind of preaching, um, do what builds your body up, vaping, smoking, that's going to only tear it down. Dr. Curtis? And um, a lot of times I know with, you know, young people, there's definitely this sense of invincibility or this isn't going to happen to me or that's a older people problem. And I, I know that there's campaigns out there about cigarette smoking and things like that that aren't necessarily the commercial advertisement isn't as strong against, you know, vaping and, and other types of smoking as it is for cigarettes. But the risk the risks are all the, the same. And just because it's not, you know, advertised as much, sometimes that gives a false sense of security that it's not as, as dangerous. And, and that's just not the case. I mean, we we're pediatricians, we, you know, have worked in children's hospitals. So we see the, the real life situations that come as a result of, of all of these, these habits and actions that, that may not necessarily show up in the mainstream or are not necessarily talked about in friend circles, but, but these things are happening and the, the outcomes are not, are not good. So it's definitely important to, to take charge of your health now. And it, it's not always later in life that that the, the lung injury or the lung effects from starting smoking early occur. I love this free flow. Everything you guys are giving us is information I actually needed. You know, um, I got my ear to the ground when it comes to a lot of these situations, but uh, being a father, a husband, and, you know, becoming a grandfather soon, all these things are more important to me as far as keeping my family healthy and making sure that we're straight, that some of this information gets past me. Uh, but I definitely needed to hear that. So I'm going to give our kids a chance to get, uh, get a question to you. Um, Kyla, I'm going to ask you, um, what is something that you want our listeners to know about your experience as a young person going through this crisis? Um, Okay. What was the question? Sorry, I got distracted. What are you dealing with during this time? Oh. Um, nothing really. I haven't been going outside or anything. I've pretty much been 
stuck in the house. Any other time I would go outside, it's either to go to the store or to a relative's house. Nothing big. Um, I actually have a question for one of, well, both of the doctors. Um, can you guys tell me how you guys are feeling during the pandemic? Well, I mean, it can be, it's, it's kind of frustrating for us too, just because, you know, there's just a lot of unknowns out there. I mean, we, we study these diseases and infections, but like I was saying earlier, this one is, is newer and it's acting a little different than some of the things that we're used to. We're, we're kind of used to always knowing the answer and this is challenging that for us. So we're, um, you know, we, we're going through a lot of the same emotions as everybody else, but you know, we just stay confident, stay faithful that we'll get through this safely. I totally agree with Dr. Curtis. Um, I think if anything, one of the one of the emotions that sticks out the most for me is just feeling anxious because uh, in the beginning of this, there was so much we didn't know. Every other week, the recommendations for what we should wear to protect ourselves was changing. Um, when I would I went out for two weeks on quarantine and I came back and there were so many different rules and regulations that had come about. Uh, so every time we go to work. Uh, I'll be honest, I stay prayed up. I listen to my my Christian music all the way there, and I just pray to God and ask him to protect us because, you know, we don't know what we're walking into on a given day. Uh, we don't know if we're going to be a victim of COVID uh, like I was or if we're going to be reinfected um, because that's also a possibility at this point, too. So when we have, uh, you know, awesome youth like you who are following those social distancing regulations, that is the biggest thank you that you could ever give to us. And we really appreciate that and I love that you're setting an example for your peers in that way. Um, I have another question for you. What do you think it would be like for a year from now? That's good. That's a good one. That's a tough one. Um, I think, well, it's, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, as we don't know when this will officially go away. Um, I know that they're doing research. They're trying to come out with some vaccinations that can kind of help us build immunity to this. The only two ways to build immunity, as we know, with the vaccines that are already out there are to be exposed to whatever the infection is and hopefully your body builds up natural immunity and natural antibodies so that you won't get as sick or you won't get sick again from it or the type of immunity that comes from vaccines and so a year from now hopefully one has been you know not only developed but you know tested and and perhaps can be either close to being put out there to the community or will already be out there at that point. Dr. Middlebrooks, you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I second that. I feel I feel like we're we are hopeful that um, if if people follow appropriate protocols and don't try to rush too quickly into their every, just resuming their everyday life before this, we're hoping that we won't have to deal too much with this in a year from now. We're hoping that not only will we see extremely low rates, extremely low deaths, but that we would have had an appropriate vaccination developed to protect people against this. In the meantime, 
I would say get your mask to match, match your outfits because I feel like we'll be protecting ourselves for, for at least, at least, you know, six more months or so. Thank you guys. I just want to stop and thank you for all the awesome information that you're giving to us. Um, like Tony said, I'm also learning a lot um, from this conversation. So thank you. Um, taking a bit of a step back from talking about um, COVID-19, I wanted to ask both of you um, if you could just talk briefly about kind of the uh, the paths that you took that, that led you to becoming doctors. Like what, what made you want to become doctors? Um, what, what colleges, universities did you guys go to? Um, I know Dr. Curtis already talked a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, just kind of what, what paths you guys took to get where you're at today. All right, so I, I'll, um, I will get the ball rolling on this. Um, I, I kind of mentioned the beginning, just having a good, a good influencer, um, someone who, who looks like you and talks like you and understands you when you're a child can really impact you later on. So well, growing up, I had um, a typical like, you know, white male physician somewhere around the time I was a teenager, um, I, I went to a new doctor and she was young and she was energetic. Um, it was a woman um, and she was, she was Hispanic. Um, but it was the first time I saw someone brown. It was the first time I saw a woman. It was the first time I saw someone young and youthful. And I felt like I could really relate to her. Um, until that point, I never had seen a female doctor. So I didn't even know this was an option for me. Um, but once I realized that, I was kind of on a mission. Um, and initially, um, I went to Spelman College in Atlanta, where um, I actually was introduced to by my cousin, who went to Morehouse across the street. And then one thing they did to loop you in, if they take you down during homecoming, oh, you're about to go to that college. So they got me quick with that homecoming trip. Uh, but it was the most amazing four years of my life. Um, it made me who I am. I, I feel like if there's any period in life I would do over, it was going to Spelman. So if this is the plug, it's a shameless one because it was um, the most wonderful experience at that time. During that time, um, I was thinking about being a psychologist or a psychiatrist and I picked up the pre-med track a little bit late. Uh, I picked it up because I wanted to have options um, but thankfully I did because um, I had a, a long conversation with an organic chem teacher of mine about my next steps and I'm like I don't know if I want to be a doctor or go to nursing school and he's like well do you want to give orders or do you want to take a lot of the orders and I was like well I'm pretty bossy so I might as well just try to get through this med school thing so um, I actually did not do very well in the MCAT, and that's one of the tests you have to take to get into medical school. And while some people may have just said, like, maybe that's not for me, that's a sign, I just felt like that was a sign to work harder. And a few months later, I got into a post-baccalaureate program at Meharry. It was one year, and at the end of that one-year program, I did much better on the MCAT, my GPA looked better, and they let me into med school. And I'm very thankful that Meharry Medical College took a chance on me. I worked really, really hard to show them that it was the right decision to make. Um, I was in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society. And up until that point in college, like I was just hanging out in extracurricular activities. So to really see myself like dedicate my all to something and have so much good come out of it was really a blessing. And it really opened up a very easy path for the future. So I got into my first choice of residency program at Vanderbilt, 
my first choice of fellowship at Emory. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful, but it's just, you know, an, a, a testimony that you work really hard at something and you don't give up and you don't let obstacles make you, you know, doubt yourself, you know, finish out that mission to completion and you will, you will definitely walk into your destiny. Oh yeah, Dr. Curtis. So for me, um, as long as I can remember, I really don't know where my specific desire to be a physician came from. I didn't have a, a specific physician that I saw growing up that I wanted to emulate, but I, I always had an inclination for the sciences and healthcare. And I, I always wanted to know that just the why behind things. So I was definitely a, a, a very, I uh, was definitely a person that was very interested in science. I had like a whole kids encyclopedia of just, you know, science, like nature and, and animals and just all of the things. And so I, I, um, I remember when my sister, she's 12 years older than me, and she went to college before me, obviously. And she came back and was like, you have to go to a HBCU, a historically black college, because it was just so different from where we grew up. And so we were just kind of in this bubble in the suburbs where we didn't see a lot of people that looked like it. And so she was like, you have to go. We, you, we need this experience, all of these things. And so that coupled with the fact that I had told my parents that I wanted to be a doctor, my mom was talking to someone who was like, oh, if she wants to be a doctor, she needs to go to Xavier. Xavier is, is known for placing a lot of Black students in medical school, dental school, and um, they just generate a lot of, of doctors of different types, pharmacy school as well. And so someone told my mom about Xavier and I had applied there and I ended up getting an academic scholarship there, which set them apart from the other schools that I had gotten accepted to. And so I remember that kind of made the decision for me. Once my mom saw I had a scholarship, I was like, well, guess I'll be going to Xavier. And at the time, my friends were going to another school in Texas. And so I didn't know a lot about Xavier. Like I said, someone had told my mom about it. But once I got there, I definitely knew it was the place for me. And it was just like, it was a culture shock to see just people that look like me that were on SGA and in all these leadership positions. I was never really inclined to do those things in high school or when I was younger because I didn't see the people that look like me doing them. We just all played sports. And so that was, that was, that was major for me to just kind of become interested in leadership and organizations and, and just kind of having a role in, in clubs and things like that, that I never really paid attention to before. And so from there, you know, they had a really good pre-med program that kind of set up the steps for you. If you do this your freshman year, this your sophomore year, and then on you'll get into medical school. And I didn't end up going straight from Xavier. Like Lauren said, I had, I had trouble on the MCAT the first time as well. And I also had a desire to do sports medicine because I was an athlete growing up, but I didn't, I wasn't interested in playing in college or going professional. And so that's where I kind of came up with my career path of sports medicine. I was like, well, I, I like healthcare. I like sports. So, you know, I want to be um, a doctor in the sports medicine realm somehow. And so first I went to physical therapy school and I did work in a sports medicine clinic, but I was always very curious and inquisitive and I couldn't get all the answers I wanted from physical therapy. I was always curious, well, what did the patient look like before the doctor sent him to physical therapy? What'd they have to rule out? That type of thing. And so I, um, 
applied to med school. Oh, well, I took the MCAT again and applied to med school. And then Dr. Middlebrooks and I ended up being in the same class. So that's where I met her and, and we've been friends ever since. So, I mean, definitely different paths to get there, but you know, there was the, and definitely not a straightforward path for either of us It's you know, in our field, I think we come across a lot of people that talk about their successes and they don't always talk about their failures or, you know, if they didn't do well on a test or if they stumbled somewhere along the way. But I mean, we're real life examples of even though things don't always work out for you the first time, if you keep trying and just dedicate yourself and try a little bit harder, then you can still get to where you want to be. I love that. I love the passage you guys took. Uh, considering the fact that you guys are both, you know, well-accomplished doctors, and I want to speak a little bit on social media, I kind of monitor what my kids consume because it's, like you said, it's not a lot of people that look like you in that field. And what they're seeing now is, is pretty massively sexualized, you know, and that's all they see. You know, and it's it's kind of hard to combat that because, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be in their phone every 20 seconds, you know, and I'm not that kind of person anyway. But um, what can you tell our young ladies out there, like how to shift their views on it? Because a lot of these parents are not telling them how to consume the media. They're not, they're not teaching them how to consume that social media presence. What would you say to these children to help them kind of guide them away from that, that type of energy? Well, one thing I would definitely say is, I mean, a lot of people put their best foot forward on social media and they're, they're not always showing what happens when the cameras are off and things like that. So you can only kind of believe half of what you see when it comes to that. And I know a lot of times, especially at such an impressionable age, they just see the outcome and think, oh, well, I'm not there. Or I don't look like this. Something must be wrong with me. But they don't always know what goes into these other people's, um, what it took or what they compromised or whatever to, to get there. But what I will say is, you know, this wasn't really an op option for us growing up, but even though there's a lot of negative images out there, there's a lot of positive ones too. I mean, I've seen young medical students and young college students that are on a path of trying to get somewhere that, you know, they have these pages and they have followers. And so there are people that, you know, like when we were going through, there was no pediatrician that I could have, you know, followed or added as a friend just reaching out like that. And so they do have the opportunity to do those things and kind of follow the, the positive influences as well as, as some of these other ones. Dr. Middlebrooks, do you have anything to add to that? That was so good, um, Dr. Curtis. The only thing I'll add, and it's really just kind of combining something she said is, um, you know, when you see these pictures of these people, you know, um, you have to think about what happens when all the makeup comes off or when the clothes come off or when the Photoshop doesn't work. Like, you know, you have to be in love with yourself and you have to love who you are when you look in the mirror and you cannot compare yourself to how someone looks or what someone's wearing. You know, keep in mind what your end goal is in this. You know, if it's to be, you know, an actress, okay, that's fine, you know, but it, you know, there's such there's such a thing as getting the the wrong kind of attention, and you know, just keep that in mind. Like, know your end goal, and remember, you have to love yourself. And the kind if, if the kind of attention you want is not the wrong kind of attention, then just be mindful of what you're putting out there. Thank you. I, I kind of needed that answer. And I wanted my daughter to hear that perspective from you, from you both. Um, 
I have a couple of students on here. They have Gigi. Gigi, while we have you on, is there anything you'd like to ask the doctors? Is it's not all it's not often we're gonna have people of this caliber on the show. And I'm just I'm very grateful to have them. So if you have any questions for them, Gigi, feel free. Also, Ebony and nephew, if you feel the need, you wouldn't put your do-rag on. If you feel the need, go ahead and uh ask questions to the doctor. Uh, to either one of our doctors. Uh, take your time and give you a couple seconds to think of something. If not, Kyla, do you have another question for them? Um, yes, I do. Go, go. What was the question? Um, um, as a student, what part can we play in um, helping getting through the pandemic? The pandemic? Kyla, I think you are you are setting a good example just right now. What you're doing by actually following the the recommendations for safety, um, you know, I know a lot of uh, youth have taken to TikTok and um, you know uh, other things of that nature and done different challenges and dances. You can use that to your advantage, and you can. You know, one thing a couple of uh, my colleagues and I did was we did a TikTok on how to stay safe from COVID. Um, and we acted out social distancing and hand washing precautions. And I would just encourage you to do the same thing when you're doing your Snapchat or whatever, you know, have your mask on. Or if you want to go to the park and you're sitting six feet from your friend, like take a picture of that. You know, those are things that will inspire your peers. And in this generation, I feel like that really holds a lot of weight. Any other questions you have, my dear? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, um, is, does anyone else have a question for uh, the lovely ladies? Miss Maggie B, do you have anything you want to add or, or ask our uh, doctors today? Um, I don't have anything else I want to ask to. Do any of the students have anything they want to ask the doctors while we have them here? Gigi, you want to jump in? Okay, my daughter seems to have one more question for you ladies, so go for it, my dear. I'm going to press mute. Go. Um... Did you guys always want to be doctors? Was that your first option or did somebody influence you to become a doctor? Well, for me, I I don't remember exactly what made me want to become a doctor. Like, I don't remember what my first impression that was like, this is what I want to do. But similar to what Dr. Meadowbrook said, I knew that I wanted to kind of tell people what to do and not be told what to do. So when it comes to the different levels of healthcare and different um, roles you could have, I knew that I didn't want to be, um, I knew that there were certain ones that I didn't want to do. And so it was like, I know I want to be in the healthcare field. I know I want to, you know, have patient care and educate people because I like to talk and teach people things. And so since I, I, I knew I kind of wanted to be the boss basically. So, so that kind of rules out some other ones just by default. But, um, but it was at a young age that I, I knew I wanted to be a physician. I knew it was a long road. Um, it's definitely not something that you want to learn as a surprise. But so I knew it was going to take a long time to do, but I would do it all over again. 
I have a question. How, how is it being a black woman in such a high leadership role in medicine? Well, I, I think that it's rewarding because, you know, especially as a medical student, even at that age when I didn't even really know everything that I know now, I mean, just the sense that families feel or, you know, the reaction they have when they see someone walk into the room that looks like them, you can almost see them taking a sigh of relief. Like, I know that you're going to get me. I know that you're going to understand. And so even though Black women only make up 2% of physicians, you know, and sometimes we're mistaken for everything but a physician. And, you know, that just kind of comes with the territory. We just have to get more representation out there. But, but it's very rewarding. And, you know, I just feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. 2%? Ms. Middlebrooks, Dr. Middlebrooks, would you care to elaborate on that? Oh, yes, I, I agree with Dr. Curtis. But I also feel like it's a gift, um, but it, there's all, it's also tough being a black woman in medicine. Um, it's, you know, people uh, have looked at me and said, are you an intern? Or like she said, like, or, so, uh, you know, you're walking with your white coat and your badge. Oh, like the nurse just came in, even though I've already introduced myself as doctor. I feel like while there are a lot of people who look at us with admiration and feel relieved that there's someone they can relate to there, there's also people who will are unable to really accept that there's this young black woman in front of them saying hey i'm going to take care of you i feel like it um it can be there can be some mistrust um you know people like you're too young or you know where's like the old white guy with the bald head like you know like that's who they want to see that's who they are used to seeing um but it gives us a, a lot there's a lot of power in that too because we are uh, defying the odds. We are showing them a, a new face and a different face. Um, and people ask me at, like at least every day, what every other shift, how old I am. And I'm, I'm proud to say, well, you know, I'm flattered. You think I'm, I look young. I'm actually in my mid thirties, you know, and it's, you know, it, it feels really good, but, but it can be difficult. And I know we hear this a lot as, um, as minorities, but, you know, in this field, you have to work twice as hard. You really do. You have to work twice as hard. You have to be twice as smart um, for some people just to see you on the same playing field as, as some of your colleagues. And unfortunately, that's just the way, that's just where we are right now. Ladies, it has been an absolute honor. I, I need to tell you truthfully and honestly, I'm feeling very unaccomplished now after talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get back to school. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm very blessed and honored just to have you guys on here. Uh, it's very rare. Like you said, 2%. That just blew my mind when you said that. You know, I can't believe that it's that low considering the power that black women carry. I'm raising a black family. I know, I know the power that they have in them. They just got to find it for themselves. I, I can only, I can only show them the door. I can't walk them through it. So this is the way I'm raising my children. And I'm glad that my daughter and my son actually got to listen in. I actually got my brother here too. He's he's listening with me and he's impressed. You know, he's looking like, wow, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, man. Dwayne uh Dwayne outdid himself. So thank you, brother Dwayne, as our fearless director. Uh once again, I want to thank you guys for coming on and giving us your time. Uh we're on here every Thursday. So if you guys ever have any free time, come and join us and uh check in and see who we're talking to. Hopefully we'll have some more kids next time. But uh this will be streaming on Spotify. And we'll also be on Anchor. It's uh, We The Scenario podcast. And uh, Miss Maggie B, anything you want to say as we head out of here? 
Just want to echo what you just said. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, lots of really invaluable information and wisdom that you guys had to share. And yeah, you guys are just an inspiration. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Oh, no problem. I'm going to grab a book like right now, like a dictionary. I'll stop relearn the alphabet something. Thank you for re-inspiring me, ladies. I appreciate it. Dwayne, I appreciate you having them on with us. Uh, all the kids that joined us today, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. Baby girl, good with the questions. You need to speak out a little more. Anyway, thank you, ladies. I hope you have a good day and uh, stay safe and stay clear. Y'all have a good one.